for March 6th, 2017. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 453. It's called Logan because that's Wolverine's name. Overthinking it, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we're hanging out together and enjoying each other's company, talking about the things we love. This week, a movie, uh, Logan. And uh, I am here. I'm Matt Rather. I'm your host for this uh, this trek from Mexico to Canada, two border crossings in in this podcast. And um, and I am joined by uh, stalwart uh, my two companions in the the one in the bed of the pickup truck and one in the cab uh riding up with me it is uh overthinking it podcaster pete fenzel hey pete hello matthew matthew we're like a family (laughs) (laughs) and overthinking it podcaster mark lee I'm so grizzled and drinking (laughs) grizzled. Hey, Mark, don't drink and drive the truck. It's not appropriate. You'll teach the child. The child, the girl, Laura. Laura. (laughs) And I suppose by the way you guys have answered that, you've cast me as the girl in this. uh... (laughs) How how fast and angry is your Spanish? (laughs) No, I'm just going to say a bunch of names of overthinkers. Peter. Mark, Ryan, Jordan, Matt Belinky, <laughs> Peter, Mark, <laughs> Ryan, Jordan, Matt Belinky. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so blanket spoiler warning for Logan. Um, and and I think it matters in this case. I, I I always say the spoiler warning, and whether I think it matters or not. And in this case, it does. There are things that happen in this movie that uh, I think you don't want to know about, and I think it actually enhances the experience of this. <laughs> and not just because people are getting stabbed in the face in brutal fashion. No, that's apparently we love that. This this movie is grossed like eighty five million dollars or at least that's the es- estimate that I see on Box Office Mojo. You know, it's an R-rated action movie. Apparently, you know, apparently that's a thing now, which, you know, you can take as either the, 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 the fact that we're not uptight about these things anymore or the coarsening of American culture or both. Uh, uh, you know, um, we're either a little bit country or we're a little bit rock as a country. Um, so, all right, let's do, uh, uh, let's do a podcast about Logan. Guys, the, the, uh, the question of the week, uh, inspired by all the social media posts that I've seen about this, where people have eschewed, like, long reviews of the film, observations, even, like, you know, saying, uh, saying um, what they liked or didn't like or posting pictures with just one word. They've posted, Logan. <laughs> <laughs> Without punctuation or anything. So, so uh, your question, I, I guess, is Logan. <laughs> and uh, feel free to answer uh, in any one-line social media post that that you like. So, uh, uh, Pete Fenzel, I ask you, Logan. <laughs> and I can only answer. Logan. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good answer. Mark Lee, I ask you, Logan. 
I know now. I know now why you cry, but it's something I can never do. Dot gif. <laughs> referring to the uh, the scene from the end of Terminator 2 where John Connor is tearfully saying goodbye to pop culture icon the Terminator and sends him away and so too we also bid goodbye to pop culture icon Hugh Jackman as the Wolverine yeah and and my answer is Logan hashtag all the feels <laughs> so, seriously uh, one of my girlfriend's friends did ask her today because she saw that I saw Logan uh huh uh, why is the new Wolverine movie called Logan? <laughs> it's a good question. If you're not familiar, um, the answer is it's his name. And and it, and, as, and I, first I said it's like calling the new Batman movie Bruce Wayne or the new Superman movie Clark Kent. Except no, it's not his secret name. It's like the name that people call him when they see him. <laughs> they say hi. It's Logan. So it would be like calling what like. Uh, like 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 the New Year's Eve thing, Ryan Seacrest, right? <laughs> it's like oh, because Ryan Seacrest is the guy who is at the New Year's Eve thing, and so right. we call it that. Or it's yeah, like exactly. it's like when the 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 Rock's biopic is made, and it's called Dwayne, right? <laughs> exactly. It's like exactly. why are you calling the Rock's movie Dwayne? You know. <laughs> yep. 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 Uh, well, that's. I mean, I. You know, look. I feel like for. Uh, a while there have been some really strong moments, but it's been at certain points in the X Men uh, franchise. The I guess what ten films, um, less than a dozen, bigger than a bread box, less than a dozen uh, films in the X Men franchise. We've been sort of looking for things to like, and and it's sometimes a struggle. I mean, you want to. I go to the movies because I want to enjoy. Uh, I want to enjoy the films, um, and this was one that I really did enjoy you know as a as a uh an emotional as a as a comic book movie and as a a a story about the dramatic actions of a group of interesting characters whom i care about you know that uh on both of those levels uh it it worked and sometimes you feel like you have to to settle for for one one or the other i don't know i mean i i found myself like uh, as a sign of the success of this movie i found myself oddly not oddly i found myself very um completely emotionally involved in it i mean i it sounds like you had the the same experience pete is is that accurate oh yeah it was utterly gripping i that was the word i kept coming back to which is ironic because it's hard to grip things when you're you have metal claws coming out of your hands but yes no it felt like it had tons of tension it had great performances uh but but more than that it had it 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 did not it was willing to forestall gratification in ways that a lot of superhero movies generally aren't right uh and and then like let things hang right let things extend and make you uncomfortable uh and and i think in that respect it allowed it to speak to deeper sorts of emotional truths than you sometimes get in these kinds of things yeah so I would put this movie with any other movie. I think. I think it was really solid. Yeah, I, I, there, that's a great way to put it. I would put it with every other other movie. And whereas I feel like sometimes in the X Men, uh, sometimes in the X Men franchise, it's like, well, this was a good X Men movie. Mark, I'm guessing you had a, a, a similar reaction to it. Yeah, uh, I would say that uh, beyond just the kind of delaying uh, gratification, it really denies a lot of the familiar gratifications um, that we have become accustomed to in superhero movies. Um, in, in a pretty big way. And spoiler alert, uh, in the largest way, of course, by killing off two of our most beloved 
characters, uh, Professor X and, and the Wolverine. Um, and that that is that's a pretty gutsy move there. You don't uh, expect that, you know, when you when you go to the multiplex to to plunk down your money for a Marvel product. Um, so hats off to them for doing that. But I, I wanted to at least briefly touch on uh, what I mentioned earlier, you know, saying goodbye to these beloved icons here. Um, it's worth saying that right since uh, X-Men, the first movie came out in 2000, the three of us have spent our adult lives with Hugh Jackman as Wolverine and have really continued to touch upon him as this, um, I don't know what the correct, the right word is there a meta character or character in our pop culture, right? Like he's always been there, this symbol of rage and power and fury and extended abilities and heightened sensibilities. Um, and, but what combined at the same time with the, with the, the grace panache and, uh, and and wonderful talent of Hugh Jackman, and that is no longer with us. And it's it's a new era. It's a new era, guys. This is a big yeah. deal. It's interesting because when I think about when you think about superhero performances, you usually go to Robert Downey Jr. as the guy who created the dominant style of contemporary superhero acting. Right. The sort of aloof. It has a candor to it. It has an accessibility to it, but it also has an ability to marshal sort of personal charisma and power in the service of the storytelling. And uh, Hugh Jackman, of course, predates Iron Man by almost a decade. Right. right? Um, And and while I well, it's, of course, been wonderful to have people like Patrick Stewart and and Sir Ian McKellen, Sir Patrick Stewart and Sir Ian McKellen, as it were, in superhero roles, their roles are not I mean they've played so many wizards right that playing more wizards in different kinds of outfits a wizard by any other name right is still a wizard um but it's acting it's not he's not actually a wizard but no no putting that aside but um but Hugh Jackman as a superhero is almost like the last of the great superheroes of the previous generation right the last Christopher Reeve superhero yeah i was just about to say Christopher Reeve yeah you're exactly yeah. spot on jump in with that you know carry that forward. well it, i mean it's it's the and it's funny because I think that this like super built Hugh Jackman. Um, I think this is not Hugh Jackman in his in his the, in his natural state, right? The Stallonified Stallonified Hugh Jackman that we see uh, in these films. I think that he's a, a sort of a tall, slender kind of guy left to his own devices, who is like a, a singing, dancing Broadway musical actor, uh, as well as being a, a dramatic actor on on films right so this is definitely like uh it's a constructed thing right like it's a it's a a product it's a product of like uh intentional effort on the part of everyone involved to kind of present this particular um you know this particular uh uh image to the world and and robert downey jr is an interesting is an interesting counterexample because while he has a lot of the same character while hugh jackman has a lot of the same characteristics that you uh attributed to robert downey jr like a sort of marshalling of his personal charisma in the service of the storytelling um a a kind of uh aloofness or kind of you know a devil may care kind of like uh you know american bad boy sort of attitude um he you can't you can't go full 
Iron Man, you can't go full Tony Stark when you have to be as physically committed as he is in the performances, right? Like a lot of uh, a lot as of physically committed as Hugh Jackman is. as Hugh Jackman is in the yeah. performances, right? A lot of Robert Downey Jr.'s great work, and believe me, I'm not slagging off. I love him as Iron Man, right? But a lot of that work is him on a black screen with like CGI graphics around him, you know, uh, in the Iron Man suit. Like it's literally, you know, it's literally sort of nothingness, and the 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 suit. The mechanical suit provides the the sort of body, um, and and the idea that like the idea that that Hugh Jackman's uh, physicality, right? Like Hugh Jackman's body is actually kind of doing these uh, doing these things, even though he in this film he manifestly isn't because some of the things are un uh, uh, would be unspeakably painful for a uh, non mutant actor to perform. Um, like it, there's a there's an, another level uh, of it. There's a, there's almost like a strongman or a sort of uh, Olympic hero, um, and I mean that in the old. I mean that in the old kind of Greek sense, like the the muscly statues of just like just appreciating the the body's ability not just to be clever but to move in a, in an exuberant and an excellent um, way, right? That 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 uh, Hugh Jackman summons up that is i mean i guess captain america you know um he bulks up for that thor you know um uh chris hemsworth definitely bulks up for that uh it, it, like the expendables it's not a dead strain in in superhero movies but i guess i wouldn't call it the dominant strain uh anymore and that's um you know, uh, it is an and sort of the end of uh, the end of an era, I guess. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I, you, when you were speaking about it, you reminded me of well, of the of the X Men Two attack where we first saw Wolverine use his claws, right? Which was oh man, Wolverine's going to use his claws in this movie, and of course, uh, it's it's bloodless and it's not claws in the face and claws shattering skulls right uh, but there is there is a stabbing of people but he's running and he's throwing people right like he's he's forcing his mass against stuff and then it also reminds me of toby Maguire as spider-man where it was such a big deal that toby Maguire got like super fit to play spider-man and uh and so part of it is that both toby Maguire and hugh jackman are not these super buff dudes. And when you take somebody like Chris Evans, like, yes, there have been times where Chris Evans has been smaller and less buff. Um, I don't know. think that's true of Chris Hemsworth. I think he jumped out of the womb bench pressing 315. But like, uh, but for these guys, you know, it's like, there's nothing, it's not necessarily transformative. And also there's something effortless about the massiveness of some of these current day big heroes, right? Like, um, I mean, it's almost like Drax the Destroyer from Guardians of the Galaxy is something of a parody, right? Of the, like, sort of the way it used to be, right? Like, oh, we used to be strong and not show a lot of irony or complexity, right? Like, we used to run up to things and punch them and and not speak in complex ways. I don't know. I totally see what you're saying, especially that... Even when he's standing still, Hugh Jackman's whole body is Wolverining. Yeah. Right? It's, uh, <laughs> what I'm saying is that he's the best at what he does, and what he does uh, is, isn't, isn't very nice. I guess it's, it's pretty nice sometimes. But, uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it's – Yeah. Um, so this uh, – well, I, uh, Mark, do you want to jump in on on this before before I pivot away? I don't want to. I don't want to leave you. No, I, I was here. I was actually going to try to pivot us, and I, I think uh, 
let's you know what Hugh Jackman Wolverine is the best at doing what he does. So what is that thing? Right. And let's talk about how he does those things in this movie and how they ultimately come to an end. Well, the, I, I mean, I think that that one of the great accomplishments of the performance is that he stays uh, not likable, like in uh, really fundamentally not likable through the whole uh, through the whole movie and his sort of self-destructive um characteristics and like uh uh and his sort of uh, sociopathic tendencies are are uh are foregrounded and are done like he he's willing i feel like in this performance Hugh Jackman is is willing to risk or willing to go full bore at not being liked right and for someone who's carrying a, a Hollywood movie that is a a bold thing um to do i i've always had the sense that like he was uh you know he was a bad boy he was kind of an asshole but like but uh uh an attractive asshole and and survived on on charisma um you know in in the way of the kind of the uh the anti-hero the television anti-heroes of of the aughts right like uh uh he was more he was more tony soprano than he was like a full-on uh irredeemable jerk um but, but uh uh I, and by tony soprano i mean he was someone who's whose charisma and whose um you know a, a sort of charm made us want to want to watch him and sort of want to identify him uh, with him and want him to i mean want him to succeed like you know did you you, you want to hang out with him you want to be anna paquin with him in that truck in the first wolverine movie yeah exactly ha- just you know hanging out driving in the know? first x-men movie sorry but yeah in the in the first x-men movie and and uh <laughs> so that's and, my point right and, to the point of wolverine being so central to the franchise well yeah, i was sorry. i was really i was really p- pleased with this idea uh that he was willing to risk um he was willing to risk not not being liked uh in this film that that uh made this performance remarkable for me so so to go back and and to your question mark to sort of reground your question in the root that's sort of what he, the stuff that the Wolverine character right is the in the in the movies is good at, but the what Wolverine the best when he says Wolverine says I'm the best at what I do and he doesn't say that in this movie but he does say that he's not good at like being a parent right or at like talking to people about things like that's not what I do that's not what I'm good at that specifically kind of he says I suck at this yeah exactly which is <laughs> which is an illusion to him saying I'm the best at what I do but what I do is very nice the thing that he's the best at is maiming and killing people right right uh, particularly in sort of a brutal and direct manner. Uh, which is which is keep in mind like he's not just saying of all of the x-men or of all of the protagonists right like of all of the heroic people who generally have their hearts in the right place i'm the best at maiming and killing people no like i'm the best at maiming and killing people and it's not a bug it's a feature right and, and it's not very nice is is this sort of ironic way of of re-identifying the objection to this act as a matter of courtesy right rather than as a matter of necess- necessary good or bad uh, right and this this idea that like wolverine is the best at stabbing people in the face right and he carries knives with him for this purpose wherever he goes. And you can try to stop him from stabbing you in the face, but he, no method of doing so will will prevent this from, from happening, maybe from transpiring, right? Maybe it's the PG-13 uh, requirement on, on the movies this far that, it, that has actually softened that a little bit because he can't really stab people in the face and he can't do it on camera. And a little bit, even if you imply it, if it doesn't happen on camera, it doesn't exist in quite the same way. Like I'm thinking of the when, when they discover him cage fighting 
fighting in the first X-Men movie, um, when Anna Paquin finds him, what he does is like uh, 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 saw the barrel off the shotgun, right? Or like, or or destroy the shotgun, I guess, um, when he's first threatened with the shotgun and, when, and they say like, I know what you are. Uh, that's that's how he does it. And that's a, um, that you know, that's a different thing than like stabbing the guy in the face. And so he's been forced, you know, uh, what I'm saying is Wolverine is off the chain in this movie. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. Well, because Wolverine, because Hugh Jackman has been playing Wolverine as something of an old-fashioned movie hero in the model of Christopher Reeve. Like, he's been white-hatted a little bit. Even in, I mean, yes, there have been movies like in in X-Men Days of Future Past, is it? No, it's in X-Men uh, Apocalypse, right, where they, like, set Wolverine loose and he runs naked through the woods. And it's like, okay, okay, okay. That's like old-school Wolverine, right? But, uh, but. But in general, especially through X, X2, X3, uh, through those movies, Wolverine has been like a white hat kind of not sanitized, but like more comfortable version of the, the hero as known in the comic books. Who who and again, to be fair, in the comic book, sometimes he is also a kind of white hat heroic and in the cartoons. Right. Not quite so bad. Like Wolverine and X-Men Evolution is not like, oh, man, that guy's going to totally stab some people's eyes out the next time he sees them. That's not that's not how it works. Works. But there's always this sort of space, this sort of Wolverine probability cloud that includes just killing everybody in the room, right? Which makes him sort of like a human AK-47, right? Obsess- uh, except no substitute, right? Um, and, and then this is the first – and not only – but not only is this the movie where I feel like we really get to see that side of Wolverine for the first time on cinema just unleashed, but it's it's interesting because it retroactively applies in its criticism of the previous movies – and I think the director is on record as saying that in this universe, the X-Men movies also exist, right? And so, like, this Wolverine movie is not a sequel to the X-Men movies so much as it is a subsequent act to the universe in which the X-Men movies were made, right? In which they were nonfiction, right? Uh-oh. Or adaptation, right? Okay. Wow. There's so many things on Sorry. to, to <laughs> so many different directions we take this conversation, Pete. So we got to address the meta-ness and, like, the the other universe-ness right. or the, the, what's in the universe versus what's, you know, uh, what is, uh, what's out of the universe for this X-Men movie. Uh, but you brought up White Hats, um, and so we got to talk about the Western stuff. Let's do that first, and let's come back to, like, the meta stuff. Um, one quick observation, then I want to, you, Pete, I would love for you to uh, unpack all the Shane references and things like that okay. in this movie, is that, uh, yes, so uh, Hugh Jackman, Wolverine, was white-hatted in the previous X-Men movies, and he's something different in this one, and yet, n- quite notably, um, in the scene where Wolverine's clone comes out, right? Uh, Hugh Jackman is wearing the white, uh, the good Wolverine, Wolverine Prime is wearing the white tank top, and bad Wolverine clone is wearing the dark gray or the black tank top, um, specifically to the map to the white hat, black hat uh, uh, motif in Westerns. But that's like one specific uh, visual observation of how this broader Western thing played out. So, Pete, go for it. How is oh. this movie a Western? And how does well, Shane fit into this? I mean, I'll talk specifically about Shane for a little bit. Uh, Shane, I don't know if it's still available on Netflix, but it was on Netflix for a long time. It's not hard to find. It's a pretty good movie. It's it's not quite the classic straight down the, we- the middle Western that I'm hearing a lot of people call it. It's from the 50s. And at this point, the genre has already been around for a while and has been evolving. So there are things. It's not like Stagecoach where it's like, oh, we got to fight the engines. It's a, right. And it's we got to conquer the West. Right. right. Or, Shane, or yeah. my darling Clementine, where it's it's uh, wide Earp, you know. Know, right. um that that particular myth it's a little more complicated than that yeah and shane is similar more similar to the searchers which we've talked about in this podcast too in that 
like the big statement of, of victory in Shane is there are no more guns in the valley, right? Uh, and and Shane is a gun. Right? Shane is a is Shane is a problem. He is not he's not just necessarily like oh it's so good that we have good guys with guns who can fight the bad guys. It's that we have homesteaders who are trying to make this life in the wilderness or in this in this case the sort of uh, it's not quite the wilderness, right? Because okay, so in Shane the big conflict is that there is a rancher who is an early settler of this part of Wyoming, and the rancher is trying to drive cattle up and down the range. And then there is a homesteader family who have quite legally, you know, uh, enclosed some land uh, with with and, and are homesteading on it and are like have built a house, right? And they want to live in the house, but the house gets in the way of the ranging cattle. And if the houses and homesteaders continue to develop the area, then there won't be an open range for the cattle anymore. We're talking about the end of the frontier. We're talking about the enclosure of the open range, the end of the cowboy, right? Which is, and in this case, kind of, in a way that you would not quite expect, the cowboy is the bad guy, right? The cowboy is the rancher. The, the person who used to be the brave, independent cowboy on the open range is now a powerful agricultural business interest who is willing to go to extreme lengths to intimidate and frighten off and and otherwise seize uh, these homesteaders and their homes, right? And that's what happens in Shane. And then Shane is an old friend of one of the homesteader families. It's sort of implied that he has a thing with the mom, uh, either in the past or the present, and they don't really go into it, and there's a lot of sexual subtext. But the point is that, like, Shane is going to defend them, and then they bring in Jack Palance, this gunman from New York, who who starts killing people. Who starts doing one-armed push-ups on the stage. (laughs) Right, right, right. And, and, uh, and And they show... One of the killings that that Jack Palance's character does in Shane, and but basically it ends with a showdown in which Shane defeats the the uh, black hat, and then Shane is like, okay, well, there's no place for me here. I have to leave so that now all of the violence can be gone, and you guys can live like the good life, which I can't be part of, right? And th- and this is the sort of it's like Moses can't go into the promised land, right? Like uh, he has to stop outside because he has this sin. Uh, that's associated, I think, with bagging on a rock with a stick when he should have asked it nicely. Uh, but with, with Shane and with Wolverine, with Wolverine, it's that he can't live this sort of new Edenic life with the children, right? Because he has this legacy of having always murdered people. And this is where it goes back to the West, right? Is that like there is a sin in the West, right? There is blood in the dirt in the West. The West was not unoccupied when people moved in, right? And furthermore, it was not even really simple, all that simple of an act to displace one group of people with another group of people. There were many displacements. There were many fights. There were a lot of people who died. There were people who lived their entire lives that were, you know, in these in these constant wars and acts of violence and, and butchery. Right. And and in the world that Logan takes place in, this is the sort of way that Wolverine feels about his past is that he has been fighting Magneto, he has been fighting Mystique, right? And he has killed so many of William Stryker's people over the years, right? Uh, so many of them, even though he was in the same unit with a lot of them at one point, right? Um, maybe he even killed Sabretooth in this in this continuity. We don't really know. Uh, but but yeah, but it, the point is that... And, and, and actually, has- like, the just the... the um- uh, not uh, the uncertainty that you have is uh, parodied brilliantly by Richard E. Grant in in this movie when when Wolverine says, "I think I probably killed your father," and Richard E. Grant goes, "Ah, yeah, d- yeah that you know, 
I I give you eighty percent odds that that is uh, that that uh, you know uh, that that is the the uh, uh, truth. So yeah. so he can't um uh, you know he can't even he can't even tell like it's so it's it's just this cloud it's just this cloud of violence it's not uh, even like a specific vendetta anymore. So, so two quick things from Shane before I'll op- I'll open this right back up. One is the scene that they watch in the movie is I think the scene. There's a guy in the in the town who is in Shane who is sort of like not quite mentally 100 percent all there. He's either sort of brain damaged or he's like not neurotypical and developmentally disabled in some way, right? Like he's sort of this like holy fool character, and he is supposedly from the Confederacy, right? He's from Arkansas, he's from the South. And so he always he talks about the Confederate Army a lot, which is an irrelevant concern at this point, right? We're all we're after the Civil War. No and everybody sort of humors him, but nobody really cares, right? And he decides he's going to go up against Jack Palance when no one else will do it. And Jack Palance just guns him down in the street, right? Just murders this mentally handicapped guy that everybody loves. And at this funeral, they play Dixie, uh, which I think is notable because it was it was sort of the tail end of when you could play Dixie in the movies. And like there were people in the audience watching who were like children of Confederate soldiers and would have identified with it strongly in a personal way, which is like really ridiculous. When you think about that, it's kind of horrific. Right. And it's like, well, the movie is, is sort of using that kind of ironically because this isn't that society anymore. They're sort of like saying, well, you in your death, you can be the person that we knew that you weren't. Right. Uh, but we'll honor that. It, like like the the thing that you always said you were. Or that we always – the thing that everybody sort of agreed in consensus that you were, that you weren't during your life, you become in death out of sort of respect and commemoration for like who you were and what you meant to people, right? And so like I don't know – so the burial scene in Shane where they play the, the play Dixie as uncomfortable as it is – and you'll note that in the movie they actually recut Shane so that you don't hear Dixie playing, right? You, they play a different song and they sort of mix up the continuity of Shane a little bit. Um, when like that scene is mirrored in Wolverine's burial, right in Logan's burial, where all his life, he's sort of like, I wasn't, you know, the X-Men weren't really a thing the way that you think none of this really happened. This was all kind of a joke. I'm a murderer. I'm nothing. But after he dies, right, the memory of what people needed him to be, or like the honor of what he said he was or what the consensus idea was right. Like that happens. Right. And that's part of what's happening in Shane is this idea of like, while people are alive and with you, they aren't quite ever what they say they are. And but when they're gone is kind of when they become what the consensus always was in terms of hope or in terms of belief right around them. And so that that um, I sort of contrast that myth making burial scene at the end of Wolverine with the much more personal Logan, you mean? Uh, uh, yeah. as, as opposed to the last movie. Wolverine. Sorry, yeah. Logan. It, it's called it's called Logan because that's Wolverine's name. Oh that's... right, God, yeah. Well, I, I was I was wondering why they would call it that. Um, the uh, at the end at the uh, end of this movie, the myth making burial scene um, with like the rocks, you know, which seems symbolic to me, and the cross that turns to an X, with the much more unvarnished, much more uh, personal um, Professor X burial scene, which which is ironic because Professor X is is presumably uh, a bigger deal, right? Than 
than uh, Logan is in the in the X Men hierarchy, you know, and it's because you know senescence and sort of progressive uh, illness and dementia has has reduced his capacities somewhat, um, or or made him not the master of it. I guess they're not they're not reduced, given that his seizures take out city blocks, but um, you know. Uh, Maybe it's because of that. Uh, maybe it's because this film's um, attention is really elsewhere. But that's a really uh, that's a really sort of personal burial scene. And what he says is like, uh, "There's water, right? Like there's there's a view of water. And in the context of of the Western, a view of water is like you made it to the West, right? Like you made it. Oh, yeah. You made it over the mountains and and sort of to the ocean to to the promised land you know and that that like but and and um for for what it's worth i think it's very good filmmaking that at that moment and at several other moments um the film is willing to just stop and take its time and like point the camera at one of the actors experiencing something and they're good actors so they're not being you know uh uh they're not being pretentious about it they're really experiencing something in a truthful way and let it uh let it happen right and actually they they lampshade this a little bit when patrick stewart says to logan hey this sequence that we're in let the house sequence the family sequence here, we're going to take some time and appreciate this, right? Like we're going to take a time from, we're going to take time away from the chase uh, aspect of this, the, the chase plot. We're going to take a time away from the revenge and bloodletting plot. We're going to take time away from the, the father daughter redemption, um, you know, a rebaptism in blood kind of plot that, uh, uh, that is, is going and do a little, uh, a little family thing. And it's, it's advice that like with the, relentless pace of a lot of uh, tentpole action movies um i wish uh i wish people would uh, take more filmmakers would take more because the only you know we talk a lot on this podcast about the the international audience driving a lot of the uh you know almost um weird symbolic kabuki theater aspects of uh of modern action movies where just the just the kind of the ballet of violence the ballet of of battle uh and fight scenes and and things like this and just the the jumping into the air and swooping down like the the um in X-Men Civil War or a Captain America Civil War the um yeah I'm not apparently I can't keep my properties straight tonight um in Captain America Civil War the the uh the uh airport fight scene is is like this where you know you sort of don't need I guess some of the Spider-Man dialogue is is pretty cute but like you don't really need dialogue to understand what's going on um the death of a parent is a a you know, or dealing with death, dealing with the death of a loved one is a universal human experience. And, and you can't like that will travel, you know, (laughs) as much as the, like the, the shiny CGI destruction will, will travel. And I'm very glad to see this film sort of focusing in on that a little bit and kind of taking like, uh, dealing with, dealing with universal human experiences sort of portrayed truthfully and really wrenchingly by very good actors. Um, it, as well as the you know the climactic um the climactic battle scene which is totally brutal and and very uh arousing and and you know um gives a lot of the the kinds of action 
uh, action violence gratifications that you're looking for um, in something like this. But I think there's something I think there's something admirable in uh, in the filmmaking here, um, both in in the way that it's the way that it's willing to kind of operate to 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 rise and fall on a human scale uh, rather than uh, rather than to rise and fall an entire eastern uh, fictional eastern european city uh <laughs> you know and then drop it and and um and and i think that this actually like well i i i could go on but i'll i'll yield the floor but i think it's borne out in in other registers uh in the film the the kind of the verite style cell phone documentary uh that laura's nurse guardian has the uh has the time to shoot and edit in iMovie on her phone um cross cutting b- between yeah. <laughs> cross cutting between the vo- the voiceover and the a uh, the a real narrator stuff and the the uh, b real um, you know, footage that that she puts together. Uh, I think it's true in the soundtrack uh, of this movie, which which was a lot more evocative and at, at moments bizarre. And I mean, the soundtrack as opposed to the music supervision. The the, the um, when when Patrick Stewart calms down the horses, there's a really beautiful music cue that that doesn't sound like. Um, a lot of uh, this bombastic uh, comic book action movie stuff. Like at, at a lot of levels, um, and, uh, this this happens in in the film, and I think it's I think it's you know well made in addition to being uh, exciting. All right, so you're, we keep talking about uh, bombast or the lack thereof in this movie, and this is a good jumping off point to talk about the whole meta X Men stuff going on in this movie. So what we see here in Logan is essentially all these X-Men movies uh, with all this, with all the bombast removed, right. And the music and the action sequences, uh, all, all those pieces. Right. And I want to uh, hone in on a specific piece of language that Logan uses uh, that Wolverine uses the character in, in uh, kind of like, you know, poo pooing the comic books and uh, how they portray the X-Men. And uh, his line goes something along the lines of a quarter of the stuff actually happened. And the stuff that actually did happen is really, you know, embellished and you know, added with bombast and stuff like that so that you know it doesn't capture sort of the essence of what's going on here and to tie this back to pete's point earlier where the x-men movies are actually movies in this universe i want to point out that there have been 10 x-men movies so far um and you know one of which is the movie that we just saw logan another one is the first x-men movie um the events of which are explicitly referenced in this movie right uh where uh professor x basically says like uh, he mentions you know the statue of liberty and right. then um and then uh, logan says that, that was a long time ago so two out of ten of those movies is uh is uh 20 percent right uh and then you just add a little bit of the stuff from the rest of the movies and then you get to 25 percent. so that lends a lot of credence to this idea that the events of x2 x3 last stand because they're so bombastic because they're so fantastical um, maybe slight ingredients of them happen, um, but uh, they were gussied up by this modern uh, myth making that goes on. And, you know, the same myth making that produced the comic books that the, the characters hold, and, the, and the, most notably the Wolverine action figure that you see at the very end of the movie. Right, that myth making factory uh, took hold of the actual adventures, added bombast. And therefore, in an interesting way, dehumanized the actual characters that were there. And then what we see here in Logan is that they get to reclaim that humanity. 
Uh, and so I would say that I feel like this movie is kind of having its comic book cake and eating it too, right? It it uh, plays off of and takes advantage of the bombast that we have and the and the spectacularness and the uh, spectacle that we've seen that has come before us, um, but at the same time shows us what can be done if you take all that away and just leave these with people and who have family problems and argue at dinner and bond over uh, parental things. That's what I think is going on with the meta here, but I'm sure there's plenty more to talk about with this. So what did you guys think about uh, this sort of like in-universe so, business going on? One of my favorite choices in this movie is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you were to count all the times that Jean Grey is mentioned, uh, the number is zero. Right? <laughs> yes. Now, that's not that I don't like Jean Grey. Jean Grey's fine. You know, I, I've always been a little confused by Jean Grey because I never knew whether she was supposed to be more of a telekinetic or more of a telepathic and whether she was at her full power at, when she was in the story. And she went, didn't really come into her own until the whole Phoenix thing happened. But putting all that aside, which, of course, they've tried to do in the movies a bunch of times and have never really been successful at. But putting all that aside, uh, Wolverine in the X-Men movies is portrayed as as and then also Wolverine in the comic books to an extent is portrayed as unsave unsalvageably sentimental over his obsessive infatuation with Jean Grey, right? Like his this he he it is it is a it is a Katniss Everdeen level adolescent narrative, right? Wherein like uh, by which I mean that like. The, the relationship of Katniss Everdeen to the government of the Capitol makes sense, as Matt has said in previous podcasts, makes sense primarily in the way that it's communicated in the books as a comparison to a teenager's relationship with their parents, right? Not as an individual's relationship with a government, right? And as such, Wolverine's relationship with Jean Grey throughout the X-Men movies and X-Men comic books, to me, feels more like an adolescent imagining of like a, of a, like an unattainable or unrequited love than like a reality of a relationship that you had that's over, right? And that, like, you could sort of imagine Hugh Jackman from the other movies, like, about to die, like, holding on to, like, a little picture that he has of Jean Grey, right? Just being like, oh, Jean, I'm going to see you on the other side. And then have her face appear, right? And, like, the phoenix speaks to him or something. And it's like, <laughs> uh, and, like, you could totally see them doing that. And it wouldn't be the worst thing that's ever happened in a movie with the X-Men in it. Uh, because there's so many others that are so much worse. <laughs> Probably <laughs> debatably involving Kelsey Grammer's pinstripe suit in X-Men 3. But I liked it, personally. I thought it was well-tailored. But other people objected. Um, but just this idea that like that that love, right, that like love between people is on this op really operatic level. Right. It's like, oh, she's with him and I want her to be with me and we're going to battle the whole world. And I'm going to walk up to her to try to hold her while her she's literally tearing my flesh apart with her psychic powers. Right. And it's like, are you going to write that one line at a time in your spiral notebook? Right. <laughs> and like, I'm going to and I'm going to have to kill her to save the world. And, yeah. I have by to the kill, way, at the end of X3, this, this girl doesn't like me, but I love her so much. I'm going to kill her to save the world. Like, that's not functional. Right? <laughs> that's, not, that's not how real people. People, even even messed up real people like that's beyond the pale in terms of a messed up real person. But that's OK because it's not supposed to be real. Right. It's like an operatic fantasy. Yeah. All right. And and um, and so I thought that it was great that this Wolverine and I mean, maybe they mentioned Jean Grey. I Maybe she's on one of those dossier sheets. That was another thing I really liked, which was that you remember back in X2, there's a time when um, when Hank, the beast, 
right, uh, shows up on the TV as like a pundit and is talking about stuff. Hank McCoy. And you see his name, right? And it's like, oh, wow, that's Hank McCoy's name. That's the Beast. And this was before, you know, the Avengers did all the crossover stuff. And it's like, oh, man, the other X-Men are kind of in this universe and they might be in other movies. And that's really exciting. Like, believe it or not, there was a time where that felt new and and strange and and thrilling, right? And and, uh, like, who else is going to show up? But when Wolverine sat down and he read the files for the children, I, I felt so liberated to be like, I don't care. I don't freaking care about any of those people. Now, and I don't mean I don't care about the children, as in, like, I'm not reading each dossier to see whose DNA got spliced into which child, right? Like, I don't, I don't care. They're all dead. It's over. They're not in this movie, right? Like, this is about Wolverine. This is about Logan and these kids. This is not about... Who's going to be in the next movie? Who is in the last movie? It's not about who Wolverine has to be canonically in love with. We're not going to be fretting about how old Rogue or Kitty Pride are and whether that matches up with what their characters are going to have to do in the movie. There's no freaking Lady Deathstrike, right? Like, you know, Dragon Ladying it up, right? They, like, all of these sort of um, these relationships, these sort of very – what it is is that, um, is that there's a closeness – there's a kind of closeness, an operatic kind of closeness, and a meta-textual, meta-cinematic kind of closeness that comes from believing with certainty that two characters ought to be together. And it is so easy to mistake that closeness for intimacy. And it's not intimacy, right? It's like if if like uh, if Calvin shows up at the beginning of a Calvin and Hobbes CGI remake, right? Like or and and Hobbs like shows up after that. You're like oh, you're like oh Hobbs is gonna show up. Hobbs is gonna show up, and then Hobbs shows up. It's like Hobbs showed up. Like that feeling of satisfaction is not a feeling of intimacy related to Calvin and to Hobbs. Like that might come later if they have a real intense conversation about like life and the universe, like they tend to. But if this is the gritty CGI reboot of Calvin and Hobbes, they're not going to have that conversation because they're going to be too busy drifting or something uh, on, on like a sled down a giant slide with a snowball coming after them and an evil snow monster. But but at any rate, the point being, I don't know. If you, have you guys felt this way that like it is powerful? Like watching the Avengers all eat shawarma together is cool and fun and shows them as friends, but there's an aspect to which that is a friendship that feels personal. And there's an aspect to which it sort of feels like, uh, God's in his heaven and all's right with the world because these people are together and they have to be. It's almost more right? of a, it's almost more of a workplace thing, right? Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> the, like the like, sort of like, yeah, exactly. The colleagues are out at like, you know, not really mandatory, but kind of socially mandatory Tuesday night pub trivia, you know, with your whole business unit. Right. And right. that's, uh, uh, that's what, that's what that is more than, more than a sense. Uh, yeah. A real sense. And, and, and what is intimacy and, and how is it, uh, how is it communicated in this film? Well, largely by largely by complaining and being angry at, <laughs> at one another, as in life, right? Like <laughs> largely by trying to get uh, your aging father figure to take his medicine, you know, um, and like just tough toughen out um, toughen out the 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 challenges of his progressive dementia, right? Uh, getting your kid to stop uh, th- going up and down with the, the the door lock on the on the door, right? Like this is the it's the lived experience, you know. It's the it's the kind of the sense of having um, o- overcome 
not just like grant, not just having lifted a city into the air and dropped it back on the ground, but like um, uh, having overcome life's life's just daily frustrations and indignities together, um, and still and still keeping on, right? Like that is the the sort of the model. Uh, the model of intimacy and it requires a certain kind of natural, right. It, um, and, and those relationships and the, the kind of the strong feelings that they engender and the way that we all feel strongly about family or the people who are uh, closest to us, right? Um, it, it can't be manufactured. It has to be arrived at through a process of sort of living uh, uh, together and through a process of sort of mutual recognition and belonging. It happens a little fast with Logan and Laura, but th- there's a sense that like she is, you know, uh, um, a, a double of him, a clone. Not, she's not a clone. She's sort of inseminated with his genetic material or something. I, you know, I don't know. The, the, a lot of the science is sort of hand waved, which is fine. Um, but uh, uh, he's in wool vitro, right? <laughs> 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 yeah, um, but that like there, there's kind of a hand wavy reason why it it goes very uh, and and they're also under extreme pressure um, together. But but the the film's villain right is trying to you can't train rage you can only design it right and that's sort of given that's given the lie to by this uh, by this movie to a certain extent right like that that um, you know no the 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 real dark feeling is is resentment it's the resentment you have for the people that you love the most uh and that's the most uh you know uh, that's the most consequential um uh that's the most consequential intimate uh feeling in the in the film can i say for for a bunch of kids whose main driving motivation is that they are essentially nonviolent in in a in a system that wants them to be violent they sure do take a lot of pleasure in murdering that helpless man as a group right like i don't know i just wanted to comment on that where like when they when they tie robohand down and all the children just murder him and it's like oh some some children can't be taught how to be warriors or how to train how to fight and it's like oh no they figured it out. They're not going to do it for you. <laughs> that was a weird days, scene, right? right? Yeah. They stand over him, and they all stick yep. their hands on the use of mutant powers on him all at the same yeah, time. Yeah, but that so was a palpable... And the, and, the, and the grass grows over him, and all this stuff happens. There, there was a palpable sense of, like, yeah, in the theater that I was in, though, when that when that scene happened, right? Like, that that was sort of audience service a little bit, that, that we sort of wanted to see that guy get his comeuppance. I mean, if I had to kind of retcon an explanation for it, if I had to kind of go in ex post factor and i would say that they're not that's that's not um that's not necessarily being violent in in a warlike way that's sort of standing up to a person who has bullied them for their entire lives and 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 that's why the kind of it has the scene has the kind of triumphal uh characteristic um that it does and they're also not they're not little you know they're not little gandhis uh resisting nonviolently. you know it's it's uh there's something uh, there's at, at about the kind of deve- developmental level of their moral education there's something appropriate um about it so to take this towards the direction of a bunch of topics that this movie touches on uh, towards the direction of canada Yes, but I wanted to stop quickly on one note, which is that you've talked about how 
the the lifting the the island and dropping the or lifting the city and dropping the city, right? And how other superhero movies have this geographically large scale that is that is uh, sort of a macrocosm of the microcosm of the small scale. Uh, conflicts that the characters have been involved in, right? Like, Doctor Strange has to learn to know himself, and as such, he comes to know the entire multiverse, right? Like, there is not really a conflict between the metaphysics of the mystical world in Doctor Strange. There's a conflict, but there's not a contradiction, right, between the, like, the metaphysical world that Doctor Strange inhabits and Doctor Strange's kind of own motivations and what he wants to accomplish. But this movie really has that, Right. And and one of the and that there's a big conflict between what the characters want and how the world works. And there's also a big conflict between what the world is doing and what the characters are doing. Uh, and in particularly, I wanted to point out how much there is in the automation economy in this movie. Right. Like the drones. You guys remember the driverless trucks? Those things were scary. Yeah, really. Right? Those were scary driverless trucks. Like when when the whole and, and this idea of the homesteaders on the ranch, right? Where like in Shane, right? It's the big cattle rancher, the big business interest, the place where people can't live, but the land is going to be used to generate economic value, right? And that's sort of like that's the 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 use for the land is that the land is going to be used for for value and not for people. Right. And, and that we've come kind of full circle where the West is kind of being re-ranched, right, being turned into a place where people can't live. Right. Uh, and because of things like the driverless trucks, the giant monstrous combines. Right. How about that? Like that that just generate nothing but corn syrup that's yep. poisoned in order to suppress mm. people's mutant powers. Right. Right. Ugh, and the yeah. drones that chase the children. Right. This this idea, all of these. This is one of the best, better. I think one of the best. There was a wave of drone movies around the time that RoboCop was rebooted, right? And I felt like this was a better drone movie in terms of talking about the the kind of psychosocial threat of automated surveillance and economic activity than like a lot of those movies were. And I, I, that's just one out of the many topics that jumped out at me as being sort of pertinent to contemporary life and politics that this movie really touches on uh, and kind of draws strength from. Because Wolverine is a, is a living being who has is being poisoned by the machine, by the metal in him, in much the same way that kind of the economy here and the, the people here are being sort of ruined by the capacity for technology and all sorts of stuff. But I mean, Mark, I think you were, I heard you humming along um, and oh, I know it's, that it's worth noting, and I don't know if there's uh, how much to read into this, but uh, so you have self-driving trucks and you have drones, and yet the taxis don't drive themselves, right? That's how Wolverine yeah. gets a job as an, as an Uber driver. Yeah. <laughs> you still need humans behind the wheel for that, uh, but maybe uh, that's but like you know, automating doses right around the corner. Clearly, it's not a livable wage if you have to live illegally on a uh, smelting right. plant owned by a Chinese manufacturing you, you slap, interest. Slash sleep in your uh, in your vehicle, but you are leasing. You don't yeah. know. You lease, by the way. Yeah, yeah. How we how are we going to pay? Everything is rent, 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 rent. Right with my claws, rent with my claws. It's the other meaning. Um, <laughs> Everything is is uh, is rent with my claws. Yeah, I mean, this is I mean, this is the interesting thing. I, one of the one of the bizarre things, and this this film must have been um, 
uh, one of the bar- bizarre coincidences. I mean, this film must have been planned uh, for you know years um, uh, before uh, we knew that the president of the United States would make sort of border crossing and and immigration uh, crossing national borders uh, into a very big civic issue, um, political issue uh, th- that. This film deals with border crossings, with crossing from El Paso into Mexico, uh, and then the idea is to get up to Canada. Um, and and those uh, and it's funny. There is a sort of um, there is a weird allegorization of Mexico as kind of the lawless place where the the corporations, not Mexican corporations, but sort of multinational. Uh, uh, corporations have their headquarters um, headed by a uh, uh, what an, an actor with a, a British accent who is uh, the actor Richard E. Grant is actually from Swaziland. Um, the uh, right, but there is this kind of like old world uh, quality about him, and and it's still sort of colonial, and uh, and the meta casting um, uh, reinforces that, right? And, and uh, you know, Mexico is this sort of. Fail- state with these private interests just sort of running everything. Uh, and, and Canada is an Edenic paradise, right? Uh, and, and in the middle, um, with these border crossings, uh, in the, you know, you cross one border into the United States and, and then another border into Eden. And um, in the middle, uh, there's a sense that that it is. It's all gig economy, or it's all like it's all rent. You know, you don't own. It's all Apple Music, and it's none of it iTunes. You know, the whole the whole. You pay ten bucks a month for your uh, for your music, and you don't own own records anymore. You lease your car. You work in the gig economy, right? Like the the, the forces uh, of history are tidal forces, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Uh, except all the exclusive content in title is generated by robots or something in in this in this future you know and the eric lasalle which is funny because the sentinels killed the x-men it's like oh you didn't have to make robots to kill mutants you just had to make robots that make that farm sandwich corn and put the corn in the sandwich anyway you were talking about eric lasalle star of pr and breaking right um (laughs) (laughs) yeah when uh uh when they get to the eric lasalle um farm you know the idea is that like this is sort of the last holdout. This is the last enclave of, of America, and it has to do with with farming, which goes to sort of homesteading like we were talking about, and goes to like a kind of American self-conception as a nat- nation of farmers, uh, which is, or like American heartland discourse, which is, you know, objectively false at the present time, uh, and will probably uh, grow to be even more false in, in the future. But, but, you know, he's there as this sort of sentimental fig- figure of national identity and a sense of a sense of what's uh what's lost but and and um and just hearing what what you're saying now about sort of the the gig economy um makes me because i was wondering like well what does america represent it's a gauntlet that has to be run it's been kind of refrontierized by being inhospitable to uh you know to to the the sort of normal family life represented by the lineage of of uh patrick stewart uh logan down to laura right um but it's it's 
It's more than that. It's it's American citizenship has become sort of a Spotify uh, subscription, right? It's become a kind of non-matrix matrix. It's become a uh, uh, a way of of like renting your place on this earth um, for you know for for a little while, and then I don't know, sort of, and then sort of returning. Uh, like you know, returning to it, right? Like uh, re- you know, remember, man, that that thou art a, a random assortment of account details of usernames and passwords, and to a random assortment of usernames and passwords, thou shalt return. Um, and uh, you know, as opposed to like going to you know the kind of children forming a new colony in uh, in Canada, which which Logan, you know, like like all good cowboys. I mean, the cowboy is the figure on on whom society rests, but whose actions preclude him from joining the society and and you know logan can't cross the border into uh in into canada um you know partly because his uh his his rental has expired and the late fees are due <laughs> uh by the way i'm gonna well actually myself eric lasalle was not in breakin eric lasalle was in the subsequent joel silberg movie rappin which came out in 1985 as opposed to break in in 1984 so i want to get that right in terms of eric lasalle's film career but the the uh, character so on the, uh, he had a great he was a great character on er uh, dr benton i think oh yeah was the name of his character on on uh, er and that's how i know him mostly you know yeah, I, there's actually there was a scene with Dr. Benton in ER that I use a lot as a metaphor for things, which was there's an episode, if you mind, a slight tangent. There's an episode where Dr. Benton attempts to become he's a surgeon. Right. And so he's a cocky surgeon, uh, as is sort of the archetype in the culture, as it were. And there's an episode where he tries to become a child, a baby surgeon, like a child surgeon, a surgeon for infants. Right. And uh, and he, he goes into he's, he's conducting surgery. Uh, and I believe it's the actress who played River Song. Um, whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, Alex Kingston is that actress. I think name. I think it's it's Alex Kingston, right? And she was in ER also. And I think she is teaching him how to conduct the surgery. And he gets surprised when he's inside of the baby that the baby's organs aren't in the places that they're supposed to be. Right. The baby's organs aren't located in the right configuration. And and Alex uh, Kingston has to tell him, like, look, everything's connected in the way that you imagine it's connected. But things kind of move around. Right. And so if you want to find the organ you want to operate on, you need to follow the the connections. And that's people how to negate the city of by public transit, basically, is is just nothing is where you think. But everything is connected to everything that you think it is. In the way, yeah, uh, yeah exactly. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I, neither here nor there in terms of Logan. Well, la- um, later on, there's the, he has a, a guest star uh, in a much later uh, episode where the um, uh, the character has been humbled and he's been converted to uh, checklists, which is like if you read uh, Atul Gawande, the New Yorker writer, uh, he's written a book called The Checklist Manifesto about how just sort of verifying the basic procedure has been followed can can you know. Um, 
save a number, you know, uh, prevent a number of uh, of uh, uh, yeah, avoidable catastrophes that are that come not because circumstances just go south, but because people imagine they're too good to uh, imagine people they're too good to do the basics. And he ends up saving a patient's life by following uh, by following a checklist, um, you know, and there is an, a sort of arrogant doctor who thinks he's too good for that, who is the foil for him in, in that. So he is uh, he is he is humble. Dr. Benton, and he comes back. Uh, he quits uh, medicine after having been humbled and converted to checklists, and he takes up he takes up farming. I don't know the the the, but we're we're way off our we're way off our theme of sort of border crossings and a kind of American identity or what the kind of the the, the yeah. Mexico uh, United States Canada um, North America dichotomy or North America continuum seems to mean uh, in the movie. Do you guys want to jump in with any thoughts on that? Yeah, I want to focus on United States uh, because you talked about it as this. Uh, uh, dystopia, not quite dystopia, but just a sad place, right? Where we're all renters, um, and all the corn people hang out. It's the casino, right? (laughs) And 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 the corn syrup, uh, you know, from big agriculture has uh, uh, suppressed uh, the mutant gene from expressing itself, right? It's uh, it's not a great place. Um, and I want to contrast that with um at least the aspirational parts of the earlier x-men movies and perhaps the uh, utopian feel-good ending of x-men days of future past which they all of it is uh seems to be driving towards this place where mutants are accepted in the united states for who they are that the united states has become a more tolerant place that uh you know the dystopia of the sentinels and all the terribleness has been averted and yet uh, that does not appear to be the case. Again, that jives pretty well with this um, a theory brought up before that all the X-Men movies uh, didn't actually take place and that they're just like fantasy movies inside of the Logan universe. Uh, but I, 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 it, I, I'm squaring myself with that, but I'm still yeah. very much saddened by that, um, where there's this aspect of the X-Men movies uh, that – are all about this 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 hopeful aspect and appealing to our better angels, um, no pun intended there. Uh, uh, and and this movie undercuts it in, in in a sad and just kind of bleak way, uh, in, in service of the story, of course, and, and, and quite well. But there's 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 that melancholy and that sadness about the United States, which well, it's also appropriate to the, the current times that we live in. Um, but that's my take on it, and I don't know if you guys uh, have a different one or if you feel the same way. Uh, I think that the, uh, the 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 hero right is an important role here. Like, what does the hero do? Who and um, cer- certainly, well, okay. So part of the complication is that a bunch of the story from this movie is pulled from an actual dystopian, post-apocalyptic Wolverine comic book called Old Man Logan, in which all of the people trying to harass Logan are like inbred grandchildren of the Incredible Hulk, or the only people who are still kill alive. Something, but don't <laughs> kill nothing. He just keeps Logan. He keeps on <laughs> Logan along. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so, so it's like, so yes, if it seems like it's post-apocalyptic, it is. You could, and there's a lot of different things that are feeding into why the movie is post-apocalyptic. Yes, like the moment, right, of 
of of the the current cultural moment, which one wonders if it was the cultural moment when they were making Logan or when they changed it, right? Uh, certainly, it's the mo- been the moment of much of prestige cable television over the course of the last five or six years, right? Like the sort of twangy guitars. I mean, there was a lot of prestige cable TV. There's even uh, Aria's List, right? Actually, I'll touch on that quickly, right? Like, um, how interesting is it as unhopeful? As as unhopeful as this place is, right? As as dry and as empty and as like just ruined the 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 country, the valley, right? The, the, there are no guns in the valley. The valley, right, is the is the America, right, or is the place between, right? Um, as it were, it's been tainted. The place between, as it were. Uh, I, sh- I should have said that. That was terrible. But anyway, Arya Stark, Game of Thrones, right? Uh, little girl has a list of people that she recites. In the show, right? And who are the list of people that she recites? You know this, right? Right, right yeah, Mark? Right? I Well, I do. I mean, they're the people yeah. who have wronged her or her family and whom she has a pledge to kill. Yes, right. Exactly. So Laura, X-23, right, in Logan, has a list of people that she recites. And she recites it very angrily and with a lot of intensity and a lot of commitment and with a great capacity for violence. But who are those people that she recites? Uh, they're her friends from the, her friends. the yeah from the facility, the people she needs to find, the people she needs to save, the people she needs to be with, the people that she loves, right? And so it's interesting in that uh, the X Men movies have this sort of sunny idea of the way that the world kind of is and ought to be, and there's these specters of threat that come in and potentially sort of like damage the world. Right. It's like Apocalypse is going to come. He's going to ruin the coexistence that mutants and humans have achieved over the course of the last six movies. Right. Like like that's a big problem. And uh, and and uh, and yet this mo- and, then, and so you have this idea where the status quo is pretty happy. Right. Or at least it's pretty functional. Like Wolverine needs to learn how things work at the X-Mansion. Right. He needs to learn that, hey, the default state of being is for everybody to be nice to each other. Right. And you need to get learned because you've been on the outside and you need to be invited to the inside. Whereas in this movie, the default state is of like abandonment and fear. Right. And kind of uh, and kind of mutual uh, sort of ignoring the plight of the people next to you, like callous. It's callousness. Right. And not only that, but there's just like you don't have a way of making a living. You don't get to participate in in the sort of uh, in the bounty that's being created around you. Uh, Everyone's desperate. Everyone is cowed. Everyone is scared. Right. But the action of the movie, the disruption that comes into it is more of a positive disruption. And so it's interesting to sort of see that if is is that is that action right, even though it's inverted, does it still feel sufficiently X-Men-ish? Right. Is it is it it is it also an aspect of the difference between the contemporary refugee crises and like the civil rights movements as it was in the 60s and 70s that like the 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 beneficiaries of the act toward inclusion are outsiders as opposed to insiders. Right. Like um, it, it, and, and it was, or is it also that it takes place during a time of relative prosperity versus relative not prosperity? Like when we did X-Men Apocalypse. We had Jeff Ross on the show. Yes, Jeff Ross, great guy, very funny. And he was talking about his disappointment with X-Men Apocalypse because it didn't sort of rigorously address social issues in the way that the X-Men generally do. Um, and, and that for him was very meaningful. Uh, growing up, he had really connected with that part of the X-Men, and now it didn't. Uh, and this is a movie that shows that like it's still engaging with those social issues, but it's had to change a lot because the way that it, these social issues have changed a lot. 
Um, and, and I guess I guess that's what I'm asking you back in return, Mark, is like you pose the question, I suppose, like, is this sort of still uh, connected to the previous movies because the state of being of things is so different? Right. And the tone is so different. And I would put back like, is it a sufficient is it have you have they held on to the to the to the core of what matters enough uh, by sort of following the arc of everything else? Has the sort of relation of X manness to the real world like sort of followed the arc of history enough? Right. Is it the kind of thing where it's like if you make an X-Men story about this, you're going to have to jump through a lot of hoops. But if you land, it's still going to feel like an X-Men story. Um, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, after thinking about it, and and Pete, as you often do, you uh, help illuminate pieces of the movie that I hadn't uh, fully thought through. So I'm feeling this is essentially like what we have uh, the X-Men universe prior to now is essentially the pre-Trump X-Men, and now we have the (laughs) post-Trump era. Era I mean, X-Men. it's more than just let's not all attribute it to this one guy, because no, there's, no, 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 no. there's also no, no. the aging of the baby boomers that's happening here. Right. Like like with Logan. Right. The aging of them and the aging of the populations of. Yeah, the it's, it's world not in general. Right. It's not one guy who screwed up America. It's a whole generation of guys. <laughs> it's not, it's who also th- not just America. It's, you know, it's, it's a lot of countries in the world. Right. It's India. It's Britain. Right. Like advice screwed up. What I mean is that, like you know, anxiety about demographics and also like shifts in age demographics have like have provoked kind of cultural and economic backlash alongside trends like globalization, automation, right? Like uh, and also credit contraction, right, have sort of all coincided in order to create this sort of like older generation of conservative counter counter reactionary or conservative reactionaries who all over the world are uh, are launching these nationalist movements. Right. Um, It's not just white people. It's not just Americans. It's not just Trump. It's all over the world. No, sure. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's the National Front in in France. It's in Germany. It's in the UK. It's, you know, here in, uh, you know, a lot of it's the Hindi nationalists in India. Yeah. 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 Um, so 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 let, let me tie this off here and then I'll pass it back to you Matt is that um, coming out of this movie initially, I was like, huh, this is, you know, I like this movie. It is a, is a huge departure from previous X-Men movies because of sort of the bleakness of America, in which it inhabits. But now that, you know, we've talked this through a little bit more, I'm almost now wishing we could have more X-Men movies set in that in the Logan universe, essentially, or by which an extension of which are contemporary state of affairs rather than what we're left with now with the the new generation of x-men cast right who are doing these period pieces and often evoke these cold war themes uh which which is just uh, you know they they still manage to feel relevant but not quite in the same way that we've managed to to, to come up with with logan so that's a bit of a lament there with the X-Men franchise and how it's kind of tied itself in the knots, uh, but that's kind of a, a separate conversation. Yeah, because there's a great powers. There's this sort of like um, uh, modernist international relations uh, to the to the old X-Men movies where there's kind of a, a, a great powers theory of, of what's going on. I mean, and I think that this, like, I, I, I don't know, to, to just sort of address um, Pete's, Pete's challenge from before, I, I wish more superhero 
movies would be like this. At the best moments, the Marvel movies do this, where they don't, they, you know, they can kind of let the the parallels the, or the social comment sit there uh, without, they can let it exist without having to, like, bold, italic, underline, and highlight, uh, highlight it. Like, there was some stuff about, like, patenting biological uh, material. I think there's some stuff about, like, you know, the privatization of security. There's some stuff about uh, about immigration and and water infrastructure is big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know stuff like this, but it it's not um, it's not uh, it's not underlined in quite the same way that that it would be you know if you had either you know Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. Uh, fighting about it or like Tony Stark like staring pensively into the or or I guess like Samuel L. Jackson right probably like staring pensively into the distance while uh, an orchestra plays um, in order to kind of like yeah. this is this is a movie about morality that said you know if you are a member of a nationalist movement <laughs> listening to our to our podcast and you were trying Trying to make things, uh, you know, great the way they were back then. I just want to point out that only 25% of that is true. And what is true was heavily embellished. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should call it. It's uh, it's uh, it's been a long one for us. So let's uh, let's call it there on Logan. But the discussion does not have to stop. Head on over to overthinking.com. Look at the uh, look at the homepage there. You'll find this podcast near the top of the page. Click on show notes there and uh, get to talking into the comments section. What did you think about this film as a as a piece of movie making, as a piece of storytelling, as an X Men uh, film, as a uh, as an R-rated action movie, as a sort of somber answer to Deadpool, as as Deadpool in a, in a somber register, something that I was thinking about while watching it, but we didn't get to talk about. Um, and uh, any of the number of the, the topics that we we uh, talked about, we can talk uh, we can talk endlessly about it in the comment section there. Uh, thanks very much to Pete and Mark for podcasting, and thanks very much to you for listening. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.